want to go to there. Snipe! Saw the window and I just couldn't resist it. Francie doesn't like coffee ice cream. Hi, for those of you who just tuned in, everyone here is a crazy person. Are we having fun yet? <laughs> yes. Thirty Helens agree. Never mind. Maybe the dingo ate your baby. It's a cunning plan, actually. Would you believe it? And you beautiful tropical fish. Don't mention the war. Clear eyes, put hearts, keep Hello and welcome to the Televerse, Sound Unsights TV podcast. This is Kate Kolsuk and I'm joined as ever by Simon Howell. Simon, so much TV news this week. Uh, there was a lot. Where, where do you want to start? Um, I think we should start like chronologically uh, because about like an instant after <laughs> we finished recording and I was like putting out the podcast and everything, uh, some huge massive news that concerns us, at least as fans, as TV people, was broken. And that's that Fox has confirmed that there will be uh, a six episode miniseries of the X-Files coming, I believe this summer, right? Uh, I think it's next summer, oh, it's but I next could be summer. wrong. Okay. But still, soon. This summer seems too soon. This like, It does. Soon. Like, they would have to be filming now. Uh, so, yeah, I'm sure it must be, like, filming this year but for next year or something like that. Yeah. But... Like Twin Peaks. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, yeah. So. Super I mean, exciting. I, I forget who it is who said it, but as long as um, we're going to see more revivals, as long as there are more series that are that have just hit or will soon hit Netflix mm-hmm. and people and distributors etc want more eyes on their old properties which is a slightly dispiriting way to think about it but uh, i'm hope i remain skeptically hopeful yeah i don't i don't care for being cynical about why uh it's more x-files with jillian anderson and david duchovny and chris carter and that's all i care about um especially because i mean i enjoyed the at times pretty crappy X-Files movies because of the rapport of those two actors and those two characters. They know those characters so well. And they're both such talented actors in many other roles as well. So uh, I have no doubt that even if all of the X-Files-y stuff is stupid, uh, Mulder and Scully will be great to see on my TV together. Uh, The thing that I would most like to see happen with this now that we have both actors confirmed and Chris Carter confirmed, uh, which I, I don't know that I think it will happen, um, but they talked about this last week on the Firewall and Iceberg podcast because, you know, they recorded right after the news broke as opposed to us right before the news broke. Uh, but I would co-sign with what they were saying on the pod- their podcast last week, which was, I would love to have this be six standalone episodes each written by a different one of that ridiculous murderer's row of X-Files writers. Yeah, that would be the ideal. It's so not going to happen. It's not going to, um, I don't care. I understand, but I, I'm right. just like, I'm living in the, 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 you're Kate's living in your fantasy land. Dream perfect X Files land. Well, you're not the only one because I swear to God, I saw more kerfuffle, uh, a couple of days ago, several days after this announcement, when Jillian Anderson announced that she was waiting for someone to ask her out, gender irrelevant. <laughs> okay. Did you not see that happen? Because my entire feed just blew up at that statement. She 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 came out and said uh, that that her that her, essentially that her dating life was not was like not really happening because no one had the guts to ask her out. Oh, okay. And, and she was and she would accept all comers and didn't care about gender. Oh yes, well we knew we knew that she was bi that she is bi. That's been like a long known 
thing, at least as far as I, at least I thought so. Um, I thought you meant that she was waiting for a specific, like she was subtweeting or something. No, no, no. She's waiting for like anyone, which, which of course inspired everyone, uh, everyone to think, well then, adjust high or. This is my uh, moment. Exactly. So (laughs) I, I, I swear to God that made everyone more excited. Uh, speaking of things that made people excited. Uh, I mean, do we want to skip to the thing that happened yesterday, or am I getting something? Am I forgetting let, anything in the middle? Let's jump right there. Okay. Well, we could also mention, you know, Scientology and all the funness, all the think pieces there. But I feel like we'll talk a little bit about that later in the show. So yeah, the other big um, news is, of course, Daily Show. Yes. Uh, so a uh, South African comic uh, who has had three, count them, three appearances on the Daily Show uh, will be taking over as host at some unspecified date this year. Uh, although Stuart has said that he he wants to come back as a correspondent, which is kind awesome, of awesome, yeah. Uh, and that's Trevor like, Noah. We haven't actually said his name yet. Yes, uh, yes, Trevor Noah. And all I really know of him is the uh, he was the one who did the uh, name the Africa segment, uh, which was quite popular, I guess, a month or two ago. Uh, and uh, I watched some of his stand up where he talks about his uh, his past and his background and where he. Where he deploys uh, Spanish and German, and uh, and and some other stuff in there, and just does a lot of really impressive voice work. And I, I'm very interested to see what happens. And I, uh, I, I did see also today that Sonia Soraya at uh, at Salon, um, who's been on the show, of course, uh, wrote uh, a piece about how she fears the backlash, uh, which I get. I get fearing the backlash, but there's no actual backlash yet. So let's wait. Let's yeah. wait and see. It's been all very positive buzz since it's yeah, been I mean, it's announced. Been, it has so been far. some confusion as to like who is this man, which is fair because he's barely been around. He's, he's also young. He's thirty one. Then again, uh, Stewart's had the jo- had the job for sixteen years, so he was he's yeah he 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 was similarly fresh faced when he when he took it, so it makes sense. Uh, and I mean, as for the actual choice, I mean, I kind of figured they would go with someone in their stable. And it seemed like a lot of people were already out of the running. Uh, so I'm not totally surprised they went with uh, someone people hadn't already heard of. Yeah, I think it makes sense. And I also understand, uh, with especially with so many favorites from the show out of the running, because they have other shows that they'll be doing. Uh, like, for example, my uh, dream pick was Sam B. But, of course, she has, she's getting her own show. So that wasn't going to happen. Um I think it does make sense to get somebody involved, but not part of the old guard. So it'll be easy to make the show into something new. I'm sure more in keeping with uh, John Stewart's version of the show than maybe when John Stewart took over for Craig Kilborn and really reinvented it. But it does allow for more flexibility. So I think it's a smart call. Yeah, I I can't help but wonder if they looked at John Oliver and saw how he brought a non-American perspective to American news and thought, hey, that really works. Uh, let's take that idea a step further and so i mean that's just idle speculation on my part anyway i'm uh i'm i'm not just cautiously optimistic about this i am thoroughly optimistic thoroughly optimistic well that's very interesting indeed well hopefully we'll we'll get to catch up with more of trevor noah's uh stand-up and material you know as we count down to Stewart's last show but uh for for now, uh, it, it's certainly going to be fun to watch the speculation, and you know it's fun to get caught up in all of that. But uh, yeah, and it's it's just and also like Comedy Central has has won the diversity game. On a on a less happy note, uh, we also need to mention that uh, uh, we 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 said goodbye to to looking this week. HBO has indeed canceled the series, though 
Did you see the tweet from Michael Lennon? Uh, no. He's saying that there's going to be a movie to wrap it up. They always say that, though, don't they? Creators. <laughs> they really do. I'm still waiting for my goddamn Deadwood movies. Although, obviously, this would be way cheaper to do. But I feel like if you can fund a looking movie, why can't you just fund another season? I, you know, I don't know. But all I know is if we get another, if we get an episode, uh, another, you know, extended episode or movie with these characters by this creative team, I'm going to be happy. That's about all I need to hear. Um, the other regrettable news this week. Um, <laughs> uh, let's. I guess let's talk briefly about that deadline thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so that happened. <laughs> Whoops. Okay, so the, de- the deadline put out this article that was both hilarious and horrifying. Um, you kind of have to pick one. It's like if you're, it's like when you're watching Birth of a Nation, and at a certain point you have to decide that it's funny or else you're going to yeah. start weeping. Um, so, uh, yeah, it's just horrifying. There are lots of great thing pieces out there about it. Um, I would personally recommend reading, uh, searching out Pilot Viralette's, uh, great article for, oh, I can't remember who, where it was for, about, uh, the cycles of casting and, uh, and diversity on TV and how it's like a 20 year kind of cycle is the premise of, of the, of the piece. But that mm-hmm. came up a while ago. It's fantastic. You got, y'all should go seek it out. Um, but yeah, there's just sort of just the reactions online were fabulous. I think my favorite though was Shonda Rhimes tweet. Did you see that one? Yes, I did that. And, and I, I, so I believe somebody else tweeted it. I saw it because somebody else had tweeted, oh, this is the reaction I was waiting for. Um, it was delightful. So, yeah, I think that's enough time spent on that bullshit deadline yeah. article. I, I, I will say that I, I perused the apology article, which went up a day or two ago, which was a, a, a discussion between two of their editors, their other editors, uh, and it wasn't good. Yeah. And it it suggested that, it, that the main issues with the article were the use of the word ethnic and the headline which is not correct. No, no, it's really, really not. Well, and and again, this is, I think it was Todd Vanderwerf, a uh, friend of the show, Todd Vanderwerf, who pointed this out. Th- they, targed the, they tagged the article with uh, controversial. So they knew exactly what they were doing. They were trying to get a lot of clicks, and they succeeded. Uh, but yeah. But it was, at what cost? Oh, my God. It was just, yeah. Yep. Anyways. For, for for another time, we should we should move on. Uh, at the end of the show, we'll be talking with uh, newly minted five timer Tyler Smith from Battleship Pretension and More Than One Lesson. It's our first of a new segment, Reality Check. Yeah, we don't know how many more of those we've got in us. New segments that just takes way too much too much invention. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so the whole idea is that uh, uh, sometimes now when we want to cover uh, an older reality series. Uh, not necessarily one that is no longer around. Uh, our guest can select what they choose to be a representative or standout season, and then we watch and discuss it in its entirety. Yeah, so we talked about Survivor Samoa as sort of like the uh, survivor at its peak, or you know, the most survivor survivor. Um, so survivorist we'll s- survivor. Survivorist survivor. Now that we've opened the door with this, I feel like. You know, because David Bax was saying I oh, wanted to come back. I know he's a big fan of Project Runway. I could anticipate some of that. I kind of hope somebody picks a season of RuPaul's Drag Race because I've been meaning to catch up with that show and I just love the premise of it. Or, you know, Top Chef, some of these other long running um, shows. Because it's a new, every season it's a new cast. It's basically a new show. But this was our way of, of being able to cover some of that. So at the end of the show, talking with Tyler about Survivor Samoa 
at the website we heard from Augustine who said, uh, corrected my incorrect quoting of the Enterprise theme song. Not faith in the stars, but faith of the heart. Thank you, Augustine. You're absolutely right. That makes even less sense. Um, and uh, he also gave some uh, exceptions to the principle of five. You guys can go to the website to check those out. But we're going to we're going to keep things moving because, yes, there are fewer shows this week. Thank God. But there's still a lot to talk about. So, yeah. And, and we really don't want to get cocky because bad things happen when we get cocky. Bad things happen when we get cocky about our runtime here on the television. So we're going to take a break now and we'll come back with our week in comedy and documentary. <laughs> Comedy. We're going to preview Weird Loners and Younger, then talk a little bit about Big Time in Hollywood, Florida, which is a new pilot or new show on Comedy Central, a little Archer, Drastic Voyage Part 1, and then we'll spend some time with Last Man on Earth. Uh, after that, I'll talk a little bit about uh, Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, which, of course, was a documentary on HBO based on the novel of the same or the research, the nonfiction um, book of the same title from a couple years back. So first up, I'm going to preview Weird Loners, which is a new sitcom on Fox. I've seen four of the, I believe, six episodes and this one um has zachary knighton uh from happy endings it has becky newton from um uh, ugly buddy and it has you know several other people that you'll recognize it's just not it's not very good guys uh it's it's four people who um are jerks basically in different ways or just antisocial or not well adjusted wind up being buddies and um I wonder if there's going to be some will they won't they amongst this group of four. Uh, the the cast is very likable, which t- takes care of a lot. But again, there's a there's a lot of good comedies uh, going on right now, and we're going to talk about a much better comedy right next after this. So, um, yeah, if you really like this cast, you know I really like Zachary Knight and Becky Newton. Um, so I was able to have fun with them, but I really can't recommend that people check this one out when they could be watching Younger, which is the new show for TV Land starring Sutton Foster. I've seen the whole season, and my review for the AV Club should be going up by the time it should be up by the time you guys hear this. And okay, so Simon, we've already had to have a slice of humble pie about the slap. And then we've gotten to feel a little better about ourselves by not necessarily loving it, ending up loving it. But um, we'll talk more about the slap next week. But we we looked at the slap, said this premise looks terrible. This title is horrible. This show's going to be ter- This is just going to be the worst. And then we ended up actually liking the pilot. Uh, younger, we looked at the premise, which is a 40-year-old woman pretends to be 26 so that she can get a job. Um, 
and said, this is going to be horrible. We love you, Sutton Foster, but this is going to be horrible. Uh, and I, just spoiler alert, I, again, need a giant helping of, of Humble Pie because I ended up, I think I might love this show. <laughs> uh, I don't know if I'm at love yet. Uh, I've watched, I think, six and a half of the of the episodes uh, of the and I, I will I will absolutely watch the rest of the season uh, at my nearest availability because it is uh, it's deeply watchable. I mean, in the potential pitfalls of the premise versus the actual charmingness of the show, I couldn't not think of Jane the Virgin. Um, it's not as good as Jane the Virgin. I don't think uh, it has some natural uh, limitations that are working against it, but. Clearly, Darren Starr, who created the show uh, and is also uh, was also a key creative on Sex and the City, I believe. He created Sex and the City, or adapted it. This is also ad- younger is also adapted from a novel, by the way, of the same title. Uh, it it's shocking to me that this is not an original premise because the show uh, clearly uh, what I assume happened is Darren Starr was one of the six people who watched Bunheads uh, and was like, "This lady is amazing and needs a show again." post haste and uh then created the show around her uh as as you said to me i think that's absolutely true it is uh 100 suited to her talents uh and and her very i mean she is i mean she I, I just checked she literally did just turn 40 like a week ago and uh she can pull off more or less looking the the age that she is is trying to pass herself off as uh, i'll and... say 20 something not 26 not maybe not six but like 29 29 30 somewhere in there 32 i mean i'm turning 30 this year so i don't think she looks that much younger than me or my younger sister i don't think she looks younger than my younger sister but the but the hair and wardrobe choices do help they certainly do Uh, and obviously the the makeup Mm -hmm. um but none of that is really the point uh it could be less believable and it wouldn't make it really much less good um it's uh it's very charming it's uh, often very funny it's a lot more uh and i mean this in a good way it's a lot more crude and uh adult than i was expecting from an original tv land series and i don't know if that's my bad or if uh tv land's marketing people need to work on that it's also a single camera which uh with no laugh track which i was also not expecting from tv land because it seems very off-brand for them um considering this is going to be like in between mash reruns or something i assume um so i i I don't know what its chances of survival are going to be like uh and i I know it's early to fret about that but it's uh it it works a lot better than it should Uh, also great in this cast uh hillary duff Mm -hmm. so good good. yeah and and i like that every every supporting character is not quite what you're expecting Mm -hmm. uh there's just uh some little tweaks on on familiar tropes that i that i really appreciated um and i continue to appreciate as i watch more episodes I mean, but you've seen the whole season. Were you happy with the overall, the arc? Yeah, the trajectory works really well. And I think they do a good job of uh, setting up some material for season two. And uh, that don't feel unresolved at the end of the season. But it's like you can tell, especially if you watch a lot of TV, that this is something they're going to get, they can get to down the line that will make the story more interesting or give them new narrative paths. For example, the her daughter, the main character, Sutton Foster's character, has a daughter who's studying abroad in India. And at the end of the season, it's going to be like for season two, she will be home from studying abroad, theoretically. So that will change up the dynamic. And all of a sudden, this woman who's pretending to be 26 is going to have to explain away 
a, you know, 18-year-old daughter to her 26-year-old friends. You know, there's some things like that that could be used well for stories in the next season or could be just, like, hand-washed away in between should they want to. Well, the one thing I I, I'm, I have reservations about with the show is uh, I, at, at a certain point, I start wondering, uh, you know, you've proven you're really, really good at the job, uh, even by episode six, seven, where I'm at, um, and you, you've made some really great friends, et cetera, et cetera. At what point is the ruse no longer helpful? Yeah. Um, and... Admittedly, it's a TV show, and I shouldn't be overthinking it, but we really like Sutton Foster. She's so likable. We don't want to uh, see her lying to everyone all of the time, mm-hmm. which is the one sort of bit of tension in the show that I'm I'm not totally at ease with. Uh, and there are just aspects of it, especially in her personal life, where, uh, the, where the lying really isn't doing anything for her, uh, I don't think, and uh, where she's maybe blowing uh, the age aspect, uh, you know, it the show makes the case for that age is not just a number very well, but it doesn't have to be everything either. Yeah. Um, and I, I, they're kind of goosing it a little bit more than they have to, and I worry with future seasons that that's just going to get more annoying. Yeah, um, there are certain aspects of that that get addressed, um, and addressed by the end of of the first season, and um, there are reasons given for why it would be bad if she gets like revealed as having lied in her application, that kind of a thing. Um, Whether or not uh, viewers will accept those reasons or buy into them, who knows? But I think if you're anything like me watching this, by the time I got that far, you know, when you get towards the end of the first season, I think it was incredibly smart of TV land to send the whole first season. Cause the first couple you're like, Oh, this is charming. This is nice. But if you didn't have more, you wouldn't watch you wouldn't necessarily have gone to seek out the rest of the show yeah but if you're presented with all of them the it builds momentum you you like the characters more and more with each episode and and pretty soon i was like you know what i i watched like 5 of these in a row and i want to watch the next one but it's 1am and i need to go to bed like i i had yep. one of those moments watching the show and i was not anticipating that at all. I think one of the other most important things um, that they do with the show that I wasn't necessarily expecting is that they, like you say, they talk about age is just a number, but and except when it's not. They do a really good job of not only showing the downsides of being single, newly divorced, and 40, but also the downsides of being 26 as well. So they, they don't, it's not just all, oh, youth is the best thing ever. Um, there's a good balance there, and um, there's some good comedic moments. Though I do feel the need, and I say this in my review at the AV Club, just lower those expectations. No sudden foster singing in the entire first season. Damn. Or dancing? Or dancing. Damn. Yeah. Oh, well. They can always work on it later. Yeah. But seriously, y'all, check out Younger. The first episode is already up, I think, on Hulu? Or was no, maybe it was Amazon Prime? They put the first episode up already so people can check it out. Um, and when it comes out... You know, any anybody who liked bun, Bunheads, this is like, this is crafted to perfectly fit with all of Sutton Foster's strengths. The show would not work without her. Y'all should check it out. We should also mention uh, Debbie Mazar. Mazar, I know I'm pronouncing that wrong. Uh, so I've enjoyed her for years now when she pops up in different things. This is a good role for her. She's the best friend uh, character and uh, the the love interest that they show and the bosses and everything. And the whole, it's a, it's an entertaining cast throughout and uh, it's not just Sutton Foster 
But basically, it's just it's Sutton Foster. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Uh, so yes, I am. I also with tiny teensy reservations. I I am also on board. Yeah. Uh, what about uh, the new show for Comedy Central this week? Big time in Hollywood, Florida. Uh, this I'm less on board with, but I am kind of still intrigued by, uh, I mean, Comedy Central's run lately has just been ridiculous, and I don't think this pilot is anywhere near as good as some of their better ones, I obviously Broad City, uh, and other sort of new originals they've had recently, but, uh, I will say, I mean, the basic premise is that you've got these two, uh, slacker dudes who are living in their parents' house, and, uh, they are hoping to, uh, not be kicked out to have to get jobs because they really enjoy... Uh, working on films in their garage, and uh, that's not se- that doesn't seem to be panning out for them. So, in, so in this pilot, at least, they start uh, they 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 enact this uh, crazy scheme involving a, a fake drug dealer played by Ben Stiller. Uh, and as all this was happening, I was deeply indifferent and even a little bit annoyed. But I will say that at the three quarter mark or so, when uh, some DEA agents show up and blow ben, ben Stiller away, I was a little bit more sold on that. And then I realized that they. Because at first you're wondering, is this going to be another sketch show? Is this going to be like, uh, you know, what what kind of show am I looking at? And it's very clear after this first episode that we're going for a, a serialized wrong man's-ish kind of vibe, um, which I think could pan out really well, uh, or it could not. It's really hard to say. I don't think that the leads are totally charmless. They they really remind me of Farrelly Brothers characters, um, which is a, a sort of vibe I haven't seen on TV in a long time. Uh, so yeah, I'm I'm undecided on this one, but again, vaguely optimistic. Yeah, I'm much less positive on this one than it seems like everybody else's. Uh, all the reviews that I saw were were fairly glowing, so I'm assuming that it must improve in the next couple of episodes. Um, just based on this pilot, I again, like, much like you, I was not engaged at all um, by the by the story. Um, and the, it, I wasn't really laughing and I wasn't interested in the characters. I had no sympathy for them or interest. They didn't, you know, uh, in watching them try to steal their parents' entire life savings um, so that they could be, you know, slackers in the garage and try to this ridiculous chase, this ridiculous dream. Um, and again, maybe that that's just that's me being judgmental. That's what that is. <laughs> but I wasn't laughing, so if you're going to be, you know, slackers in the garage, stealing your parents' money, you need to make me laugh. I feel like the Always Sunny people would make me laugh at that premise. Right. Um, so, yeah, I, the turn, I wasn't invested in either. And um, I think if I'm supposed to be invested in the wrong man scenario of this, it's going to be really hard unless they actually care that they got this guy killed. And we get a tiny inkling of that in the last scene, but I don't know. I, for me, the tone isn't landing the right way, um, where it's, are these real people? Did a real person just get shot you know, in a ridiculously over-the-top fashion? Or are these cartoon characters, and so I shouldn't care that a, that a person just got shot in a ridiculously over-the-top way? Um, right. And because I, and again, like I said, because I wasn't laughing, I was thinking about all this stuff. Right. The the, the key factor. Yeah. Um. Anyway, I, I I can't really disagree with you. Uh. But just just based on on the recent strength of of Comedy Central's uh comedy development, I'm willing to track it for a little bit longer and see what happens. So I'm gonna have you uh, let me know when I need to tune back in, Simon. If you do. Yeah. 
exactly. Uh, next up is Archer, uh, Drastic Voyage Part 1. We're going to talk about this a little bit more next week when we have Part 2, which is going to end the season. But Archer's been on a bit of a run. We've talked about the last couple of weeks and then had to cut out talking about it when we went ridiculously long. Uh, so for me, this was... There was some fun stuff here, but um, this is a lot of setup for the finale. I like the casting of Carrie Brownstein as the scientist, um, but I, I've enjoyed the previous episodes, the last couple episodes, much more than this one. Uh, honestly, my, my big takeaway from this episode was uh, when we get that pr- presentation by TV's Michael Gray mm-hmm. and having and being and wondering to myself, why do I have no effing idea who Michael Gray is? TV is basically my job right now. <laughs> and so I looked him up on IMDb, and he has not had a, a, a screen credit since, I believe, 1976, which is one hell of a block of time to not be on TV in between appearances. Uh, and, I, and I believe he's mostly known for Shazam. Uh, so that was an interesting little bit of, of, of course, t- uh, of course, of all the shows to dive deep with their TV history, it was going to be Archer. Uh, anyway... The uh, we didn't really get to mention it because uh, because we we have been skipping over Archer so much. But I will say that I think my favorite bit uh, of the whole season may have been because this one also involves surgery, and it reminded me uh, when they have uh, Krieger under and they have the conversation about about race on Mash. Mm-hmm. Uh, it didn't have anything to do with anything else. It was totally it was completely guilty of being utterly random humor, but it still may have been my favorite thing this season. Oh, when when Ray was getting his hand. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. That was and and the visual style of it and all of that. That was it was a lot of fun and it was great meeting Lana's parents and there's been a lot of really good stuff this season. Um, so we'll talk more about the the season as a whole as well as the the exciting part two of Drastic Voyage uh, next week. But let's talk a little bit about uh, Last Man on Earth and the this week we had She Drives Me Crazy and Moving In. And uh, I did not see. I saw that she, most of she drives me. Cre- no, I didn't see either of these. I watched last week's episodes. I caught up with those. Oh, yeah, because I had no interest in watching the show. But you wanted to talk about it, <laughs> so I ran out of time <laughs> before I could watch this week's. Um, but I powered through last week's, which again, not interesting, not funny, and I'm completely tired. I'm like I'm ready to to completely break up with this show because just watching. Um, watching Phil be a creep isn't funny to me, and there's plenty of other shows where I can, where I have seen that in the past, or I could be seeing that now that also have other things about them that are funny or are interesting or are thought provoking. That's where I'm at with Last Man on Earth. So it's quite taken a huge dive in my estimation since the pilot. Is is there stuff in these last two episodes besides the introduction of Mel Rodriguez, who of course I love from Enlisted, that should, will turn me around. Like, should, do I need to power through these this week's two episodes? Probably not. I mean, the the thing for me is that I'm not laughing at it really, and by really I mean at all. And yet, I'm sort of weirdly fascinated by the show, uh, almost because it is so laugh free. I'm starting to enjoy it on levels besides comedy. Uh, for instance, in these two episodes specifically, uh, there's a moment in the first one I believe she drives me crazy. When um, uh, Phil's character is just becoming so uh, obsessed with getting rid of the Mel Rodriguez character and just so uh, just so driven mad with envy and, and annoyance that we get this time lapse shot of him just sitting on his couch as night falls. And then when the shot is over, 
he has this flash of inspiration of, uh, of I've just realized what to do. And then they go for a drive. And then you realize, I have no idea how far this scene is going to go. Like, I, I don't know if he's going to leave him somewhere. I don't know if he's going to shoot him. Uh, I don't know. Like, you really don't know. And that's because the, the sort of horror-ish bits of the soundtrack and the editing and things like that are, are starting to get, like, kind of intense. And I know I'm, I'm not really selling it still. And I really can't <laughs> sell it because... I. I don't actually think it's good, but the, just the fact that the, that that Will Forte and everyone else involved thought this was the best possible direction for this show is fascinating to me. Well, and actually uh, listening to you talk about it reminds me, I did actually watch the first of these two. I just didn't recognize it from the title. Um, oh, there and you go. I, I didn't watch the second one, but I was never in doubt of what was going to happen. Really? Yeah. Uh, I never thought for a moment he was going to kill him. Well, okay, maybe that was just my 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 uh, my dark imagination getting away with me. But I still do like scenes like that one and the one where he just breaks down while cleaning the pool and things like that. They just they go a little bit further with with the premise than I think that they that any other show would ever bother to. Uh, and just the 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 show's sheer bloody minded commitment to how awful Phil is, and also that the the show doesn't disagree with our assessment of phil the show knows how awful he is it, it's utterly cognizant of that it also knows how, how utterly delightful they've made the mel rodriguez character by, by comparison to make phil appear even worse so it's not a matter of they don't know what they're doing the show knows exactly what it's doing it's just not doing anything that anyone seems to enjoy and i find that kind of amazing i again i'm not endorsing it i'm just enjoying the absurdity that this is what they decided to do with their half-hour sitcom. Yeah, I'd rather it were funny. No, that's uh, totally <laughs> that's fair. Just me. Totally fair. Yeah, um, yeah. And uh, I, are we supposed to believe him when he says that he thinks he's falling in love with uh, January Jones? Because we've not seen anything to support that. Oh no, I don't think we are. Okay, at all. Then, then, uh, then I'm not even supposed to connect to him on a sympathetic level at all. Um, so I just get to watch a really gross, uh, kind of possessive. <laughs> I, honestly, like I, this is a show that I watch. I watched um, one of the episodes from last week, actually, with my sister this week, and we're watching him. Like, okay, and this is the part of the story where the creepy guy starts stalking and eventually assaults the woman that, that won't pay attention to him. Like that's what this feels like to me. This is not funny. This is not interesting. This is something I've seen on other shows and hated on other shows, but that's the, it's the entirety of it. And you're right. Maybe that's an in, such an interesting choice to make, but oh God, guys. No, I, I, you're, you're not wrong, but I do think the difference is when you've seen it on other shows, they usually don't know they're doing it. You know what I mean? I like, guess I guess that makes it better, but I'm, not very much. I'm not much. saying it has to make it better. I'm not saying it has to make it better. I'm just personally enjoying the perversity of it. Um, and I, I mean, and I don't really know how the season ends. Does the season end and they just say "fuck this guy" and just leave him there, or does he kill them all again? Maybe that's just my my imagination again. Yeah. But I feel like I can't. I can't. If it ends the way that it just has been lately, that's insane. <laughs> that's an insane way to do a season. Yeah, I think um, they could easily leave him there. Um, they're not. It's not going to end with him killing anyone because this is Fox. If it were FX, that'd be a very different show, but um, with a lot more possibilities. But on Fox, I don't think that's how it ends. But they could certainly abandon him, and then all of a sudden, he's the last man on Earth again. 
because nobody can stand him. That could easily be how it ends the season. But um, it's already been picked up for season two, as I understand it. So we'll see what they do. <laughs> Which adds to the hilarity. Oh, God. Let's, let's move on. Let's talk anyway. quickly about uh, Going Clear, Scientology and the Prison of Belief, which is our This weekend documentary. And this is based on the novel of the same title. You've actually read the book, but not seen the movie. Um, I've seen the movie, but not read the book. Uh, I do think that this is an interesting, very interesting documentary i enjoyed watching it but there, i didn't i didn't i don't know that i actually think it's a particularly great documentary um it's, it's very straightforward and i think that actually might be a benefit to the documentary for those who are unfamiliar with scientology and the um allegations of the book and the the film um allegations that 160 lawyers at hbo signed off on so i feel good calling them facts personally <laughs> um yeah i i have i've been very aware of the what pe people who have left scientology have been saying about it um for decades and i realize i'm only 29 but that's how aware i've that's how long i've been aware of this bullshit so it makes me very, very happy that this book has come out and now this film has come out. Like when I was in college and every time I see a stack of personality tests from the Scientology Center in town, I would take and throw out that stack from the public spaces around my college. Um, so I'm very happy that people are finally talking about this. And for those, like I, was, I watched this with some of my family who haven't either haven't believed me when I've told them some of this stuff or just haven't been aware of it. And for them, it was just mind blowing. And how could this, this is so insane. So I think the very straightforward presentation is helpful to those who are unaware of the allegations against Scientology that have been made by people leaving the church. However, if you are aware of them, it's makes for a very paint by numbers sort of progression. So it, it's kind of tricky. Like I, I think they, mm -hmm. Depending on what the audience is, I wouldn't say it's a bad documentary. I just don't think it's particularly captivating if you are knowledgeable. Right. Uh, I mean, my issue with the book, and I, I don't know if it's true of the film at all, was uh, when it's talking about the history of L. Ron Hubbard, like his life, his life is to me the most interesting part of the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, and the least sort of hard to watch because it's just kind of a fascinating character study. Um, or I, hard to think about, I should say. I'd say that that's a solid third of the documentary. Okay. Um, there's there's some Tom Cruise. There's more John Travolta than you would expect. Um, yeah, that stuff I really I didn't care for it in the book. I really didn't care to watch it in documentary form. I would say it's about like thirty 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 of information about L. Ron Hubbard. Thirty percent the church now under um, uh, Miscavige or Miscavige, um, and then thirty some of the celebrity stuff and also people talking about how they got into and then left the church. So I assume there's a lot of Paul Haggis. There's quite a bit of Paul Haggis. There are, there are a number, there's like a handful of people that are interviewed and it, it takes them through how they found the church um, through when they left and then their experiences after having left, you know, when it came up. So there's some, uh, there's some really interesting stories and uh, personal testimonials there and, um, yeah, I think if you don't know anything about Scientology, um, or you haven't read any of the exposés about Scientology or the statements from people who have left, then you should absolutely seek this out. If you're curious at all, seek it out. Um, 
if you know that's i guess that's what i'd say yeah although if you only have 20 minutes the south park episode will do you in a pinch it, it really will it's a fabulous episode of south park uh so uh simon what wins your week in comedy uh, I will, uh, you know what? I'm always happy to be charmed by something new. I will give it to Younger, even though technically it won't have aired by the time. Uh, or wh- when does it actually, when does it actually premiere? It premieres on uh, this Tuesday. So as people oh. are listening to this, either we go. tonight or, uh, or last night. Yeah, I will absolutely give it to Younger then. Yeah, myself as well. Definitely giving it to Younger. Um, and, uh, now we'll take a break and come back with our week in genre and drama. <laughs> This week in genre and drama, we're going to preview Wolf Hall briefly before I talk a little bit about The Flash, uh, their two-part time travel episode. And then we'll talk Fortitude, episode 10, uh, Better Call Saul, Rico, Justified, Trust, The Americans, Do Male Robots Dream of Electric Sheep, and The Good Wife, Undisclosed Recipients. So first off is Wolf Hall, which is debuting this week on PBS, but has already aired um, over in the UK. I have not seen any of this. You've seen a little bit of this. Uh, what This was one of those ones that we were very interested in based on its cast. It's got Damian Lewis as uh, Henry the eighth as well as a number of other recognizable faces what did you think of uh, the episodes that you saw uh you know this is really weird um i never read because i don't have time uh but i had read going clear and i have read wolf hall and they're both happening in right next to each other in this podcast and those probably those are probably 80 percent of the books i've read in the last several years weird anyway uh it's because i've read the book the first one anyway that i was intrigued uh by the series principally uh, I've seen the first two episodes, um, and I think it's one of those things where having read the book hurts because uh, the books have a kind of drive to them that this, that the series, at least uh, at first, uh, doesn't have. Um, I also don't have any attachment to Mark Rylance, who's the the true star of the of the series as Thomas Cromwell. Uh, I know that he has a reputation as being one of the best stage actors in the world. I don't recall ever having seen seen him in, any, in anything myself. He's extremely restrained in these first couple episodes, which suits uh, where the show is at. And uh, I'll be curious to see what he does uh, as as the plot mo- uh, progresses. Uh, it seemed like a like a pretty straightforward adaptation, albeit a lush one. Uh, I think I need a little. I think I'm going to need an objective perspective before I, I talk any more about it. But certainly, uh, if you have any interest in period dramas, this might give you something a little bit out of the ordinary. Okay. I don't really want to say more than that. That's that's very interesting. Um, let's move straight on to The Flash, though. Um, the, they had their episode last week, and then this week it's Rogue Time. It was the two-part time travel episode. And um, I think about... 
60 to 80% of this worked. Um, depending on how generous I'm being, I liked the way that the first half built. Um, of course, whenever you're doing a time travel episode, you can make a bunch of giant leaps in your story because you're going to undo them when you have the character time travel. Um, so it was exciting to see those, and then it was disappointed to see disappointing to see them undone in the second half. However, they do a, a good job of instead having there be different significant developments and consequences in in the second half. How, uh, but again, they the these consequences come in the form of some recurring villains who weren't in the first half. So if they, I guess. The first time the, the events happened, they were just chilling somewhere and they decided to stay in that day. And then <laughs> when he when the Flash travels back in time, that causes them to think, I know, let's wreak havoc. Uh, My time travel watch is glowing. Exactly. Yeah. That. So that is a little bit wonky. Um, but uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I think I think it was still fun and. Uh, I'm hoping that we will finally work our way back to some of these developments before the end of the season. And the only other thing I'll mention here with The Flash, since I spent a chunk of last week's episode talking about how, uh, dude, why did nobody tell me Stephen Pasquale can sing? Uh, did you realize that not just Jesse Martin, Jesse L. Martin, Broadway's Rents, Jesse L. Martin, original Broadway cast of Rents, Jesse L. Martin, can can ridiculously amazingly sing and grant gustin who people will know from glee can of course sing but carlos valdez uh i may have said that wrong and uh, rick cosnett who play cisco and eddie can also sing and they're filming a short musical film with uh with jesse l martin about uh, a family of of uh, like former slaves or, or just black people living in the mountains during like the right before the civil war or something with a bunch of like uh spirituals inspired music and everything and it still looks amazing and you can listen to them sing so y'all should go check that out did you know that these guys like there needs to be a flash musical is what i'm saying it just it seems like every show now has a bunch of broadway people on tap and yeah. they need to figure out a way to make that work. Well, and because there's a difference between, oh, they can carry a pitch, uh, and no, they've got really good tone and timbre and blend, and yeah, like, there are a lot of people who can carry a tune. It doesn't mean that I want to see a musical episode with them singing, and one of those people, I know everybody loves her, uh, one of those people is Anna, Anna Kendrick for me. I hate yeah. her vowels. I'm sorry, guys. Lovely voice. I hate her vowels. Um, <laughs> but... Uh, I actually do think that these, from what I've heard, these guys can actually sing really well, and I need to see it happen. Uh, yeah, we may need to accept, though, that uh, musicals are maybe not a thing. That, that other people the want? Average, the, the average comic book show viewer gets super stoked about. Maybe they do, um, but it might just be us. I'm just saying, of any of the different superhero shows that could sustain it, I feel like The Flash is, you know, like, you know, bubbly and fun enough that maybe they could, especially, like, I don't know, get an experimental drug going, you know, like some, some mad, like, scarecrow-type guy, you know, yeah, gases the I, city. I, could I see can't it. really see uh, Arrow or Godham going for it. No, no. Well, I could see Godham because uh, they have the club, you know, so they could have somebody, like, dared to get up on stage, maybe. But um, I feel like tonally the Flash is our best bet. And it just so happens, you know, they can get they can get Laura uh, Berlanti to come over from Supergirl, 
you know, can we have a crossover there, even though there's no way that would ever happen. And then she could join in, too. I'm just saying. Yeah, I'm also really upset I didn't come up with God Ham like 15 weeks ago. <laughs> now I'm just thinking uh, in re- that God Ham in relation to Mad Men. Um, but that's uh, for, for next week. We will we will have uh, John Ham back on our TVs next week. Um, let's move on to Fortitude. Um, this is episode 10 or the episode where <laughs> they freaking shot the tooch. <laughs> they shot the tooch. You don't uh, shoot the tooch, guys. I literally, I remember almost nothing else about this episode, to be honest. Because what happened is the screener went up immediately after the previous one aired. So I watched it about nine days ago, um, which is probably a mistake in terms of remembering it for this podcast. But I will say that when Michael Gambon shoots the hell out of Stanley Tucci's stomach, uh, I laughed and laughed and laughed because it was just so ridiculous. And I love the way that Gammon plays it as just like, why did you make me do that? And he's just annoyed almost because <laughs> he was having a perfectly fine death, uh, snowy death all by himself. And then Stanley Tucci had to show up and make him shoot him in the stomach, possibly fatally. Yeah. And the whole sequence is just, it's fantastic because of the way that they, they play it. And uh, I don't know that they're directly playing it for laughs, but they're not not playing it for they laughs. They must know. Either. They must. There's no, like, there's no tense music that I remember, uh, or at least not overly tense. It's just, it's all, like, the way it's blocked and the way the actors play it, they're just reveling in the absurdity of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. And and just, the like, the reaction of just, like, you fucking shot me! It's like, okay, <laughs> Then, like, eventually, it's like, okay, what kind of gun do you use? Okay, I can, tell, I can totally survive this. I'll be fine. Uh, now... And he's just, like, flailing around, and all this blood is pouring out of him. And and Gammon's just listening, they're like, dude, y- y- this is on you. This is on exactly. you. <laughs> and, and, like, drink the morphine, would you? Yeah, would you just drink the morphine and die already? Uh, cause I do, and, and then he, like, does feel bad and everything, but... Uh, we get a couple of other revelations from those scenes, but just the performance of both of them is just fantastic. And that's just that combination of the drama and the intrigue with the comedy has been one of the things I've really enjoyed about this season, especially with Tucci. Uh, and so that just, oh my God, it was just wonderful. Loved it so much. Um, the other thing I will say about this episode is that I really appreciate the reveal that they give of what's under the ice. I like, I, you know, the the notion of an elephant graveyard of mammoths that seems like it's substantial like a big enough deal that it warrants you know all of this drama that's been going on even just Mm -hmm. on terms of the ivory but on the like as as for something that would be a scientific discovery major scientific discovery as well as just like money um i think it really makes sense and it's something that at least i wasn't thinking of it surprised me i like i would have thought oh there's a mammoth not there's a crap ton of mammoths right there is, is is there a name for that? Like a murder of mammoths, like something, a, a flock of mammoths. I, I uh, like murder of mammoths, even though obviously it's a murder of crows, but still. Yeah, I think they can both have it. Okay. Considering there are no more mammoths left. Um. Yeah, I also liked um, I liked the fake out with uh, the Jessica Rains character, uh, fleeing, mm-hmm. uh, s- seemingly being you know the the the, the supplicant housewife or whatever, and then fleeing, just being like, no, this <laughs> this is done. Uh, I really enjoyed that sequence. Yeah, definitely. Uh, the way, that, yeah, and and getting all the way to the to the um, airport before they're like, dude, dude, 
Come on. You're like the one person who really can't leave. Yeah. If, if anyone can't leave, you really can't leave. And don't you know what show you're on by now? Because come yeah. on. Yeah. Um, let's see. The, the I think that really there's going to be obviously more in the next couple of weeks with this, but I feel like we should leave it there because we should, you know, we want we're going to want to spend some time on the rest of these dramas. So let's move on to Better Call Saul and Rico. We got to see we got to see the two brothers actually really working together. It was great. Yeah, well, it'll it, it was nice while it lasted, wasn't it? Because uh, I feel like it has to be next week that the shit just hits the fan completely with that. Yeah, there's only two more episodes. Yeah, well, and also just the way that, like, it's very clear if he's better, which it seems like is what's going to happen, or is happening, or has happened, uh, then I feel like the law firm swoops in and grabs him and then takes the money with him. Because we know that Saul isn't in for a huge windfall. That that could certainly be the case. Um, <laughs> oh, yeah. But it wouldn't, uh, it wouldn't... You'd think if he was able to secure this case, that would at least, at the very least, uh, get him hired at the law firm. I don't know. He might turn it down because he doesn't want to work for that, you know, stupid jerk face. But um, McGill, no, no, uh, Hamill, right? Hamlin. I don't Hamlin. think they. I don't think he ever will extend Saul a job. I don't think that that relationship exists to be fostered. I think there's too much bad blood, and I think they'll be able to make a case for that. Ah. Uh, well, week. and and also, I think we've seen enough that the Michael McKean character is—he doesn't stand up to Hamlin. He lets himself be manipulated by him. Uh, we've seen that a couple times earlier in the season when when he came to visit and is, you know, um, yeah, he he does not stand up for Jimmy or listen to Jimmy the way that as audience, you know, as following Jimmy's point of view, that we think that he should. So I could see him being steamrolled or choosing to accept the the welcome return you know back to the law yeah. and hamlin over supporting jimmy now i watched this before you did did you appreciate my no lunch warning uh his trash dive oh see i didn't think the trash dive was that that bad but maybe really? it's because i wasn't eating <laughs> well there you so yeah you, you weren't bothered at all by the reams of adult diapers uh, okay, well, maybe yeah. that was just me, because I thought that was absolutely disgusting uh, in a totally appropriate way, especially given that he finds the recycling bin uh, immediately, immediately after. afterwards. And has, was wearing his white suit, too. Yes, his his his, his most expensive suit. suit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, how, such as it is. Um, yeah, I, that, I, I love the whole sequence of him uh, sort of drawing up that writ or whatever in, in, in the washroom. And, mm-hmm. I mean, it, it was nice to get a, a mostly fun episode. Uh, after the sort of more downery ones we've had the last couple of weeks, but I'm still enjoying the hell out of Saul. I have very few complaints, if any, really. Yeah, it's certainly been one of the the highlights of this year so far. Um, let's move on to Justified, though. Trust. And speaking of, one of the things I should have mentioned up at the top as far as this week in TV, at least for me, is that I uh, I pulled the trigger and I'm going to be going to ATX, uh, Austin Television Festival, this year. Um, hopefully I'll be covering it for Sound on Sight. I'm waiting to hear back on that. But but I'll be there, and there's going to be a justified finale po- uh, panel where they bring back, you know, bring together all the cast and the creatives and everything. Um, and so I'm really hoping that I'm going to be able to go to that, loving the last stretch of episodes. Um, and I don't know if I love this last this episode. You know, I've had we've had issues at different t- points over the course of the season. But I'll give I'll give trust this. I did not see the that end of the episode coming. <laughs> yeah. Um 
You know, was, I always read Gramio's postmortems, uh, which you can easily Google immediately after any episode airs, uh, because they're always so interesting to me. The way that that scene was blocked, I thought that looked like a really, a really bad shot to get as a human. Um, according to him, they tried to block it so that it 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 seemed as though he got hit in like the shoulder. Um, it seemed lower than that. I don't know if 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 they got the visual they were going for. But uh, either way, it's obvious that Boyd is not dead. Um, that would be hilarious. <laughs> but they're not going to do that. Uh, I would, I would, I would tip my cowboy hat to them if that was what they were doing, just out of the sheer ballsiness of it. But he's obviously not dead. Uh, that being said, yes, I, I agree. That was an absolute uh, out of left field move, and it was my favorite thing about the episode because it destabilizes what we assumed the end game was going to be. Uh, yeah. which was going to be Boyd and Ava on the run, maybe still not trusting each other, but still more or less together. Uh, and now instead it's Ava on the run and everyone after Ava, but possibly not at the same time. And then this other shit that's just happening sort of on the sidelines that we really don't know how it's going to relate at all, which to me is a good position for Justified to be in because uh, they do chaos well. you know. So now we've got Markham with no money, probably really ang angry floating around. We've got Boone... And whatever the hell it is he's going to try to do to Loretta. Uh, and we've got uh, uh, Mickey, who has now apparently abducted Win Duffy. Uh, well, and no who idea. knows that Win was the, the rat. And right. Catherine and Markham now seem to understand that neither of the two of them were. Uh, yeah, it really it changed up what everybody knows. Yes. In a really uh, and it was, interesting and it was, way. And it was exactly the right time to do it. Uh, mm -hmm. so, uh, that was good. I really loved the, that, I mean, they know at this point that the, the justified people are smart enough to know that they've got Jonathan Tucker and they need to use him. Uh, so even though it's late in the season and there's a lot of plot happening, uh, they still give him like this five minute Tarantino -y showcase sequence where he basically history of violence is a cafe, uh, except without the shooting. And that was great. Yep. Well, you know, he's got to go hat shopping sometime. The only qualm I have about this episode and where we're heading, really, is that Ava has shown herself incompetent at running, uh, proven herself incompetent at running in the past. We have no reason to think that's going to change. And I am hoping that we don't have two episodes of Ava's incompetent ahead of us, I guess. You know what I mean? Um, they have not shown themselves particularly. I've just, I've not in, I've not been happy with how they've been writing Ava all season. And this is, moment is very interesting, but it also makes me nervous for where they're heading with that character. You know, it seems just, it seems very stupid. And I don't like this idea that Ava's stupid. I mean, she, the 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 aspect of it that's forced, I think, is that Raylan would tell her that she was screwed mm -hmm. and then not expect that she would do something, not go rogue yeah. or not expect that she would go rogue, um, which to me is Raylan actually being stupid, not Ava. Uh, to me, if you've told someone that they're going to go to jail no matter what happens and they're prone to shooting people, you shouldn't be super surprised when they shoot someone. Maybe <laughs> that's just me. Fair um, enough. So uh, I'll be curious to see if people uh, appropriately blame, blame Raylan for that. Uh, that being said, if she's totally stupid, it's going to be a short fucking manhunt. So uh, I'm, I'm guessing they can't have her be totally stupid. But 
maybe that's just me. There are still three episodes left. Um, then again, bodies got to start dropping at some point, and I guess that's sort of technically already started. Anyway, I, I mostly enjoyed it. Um, some some tiny qualms, but uh, I I think uh, we, we pretty firmly established that the season's been uh, more enjoyable than we perhaps feared it might not be, uh, but definitely not top tier. Yeah, I'd agree with that. What about this episode of The Americans? Do male robots dream of electric sheep? Is this top tier? Uh, I don't think so. A lot of other people seem to think so. Um, I, I, although it was close. I would say that, uh, I mean, for once we had someone other than Martha to feel worse about. <laughs> uh, we had Betty, played by Lois Smith, which, who, if you haven't looked at her IMDb page, you should do that. Because uh, she's, she's been good around. Damn, yeah. Uh, good damn, good yeah. Good damn. Uh, you pretty much know the second that she turns up that she's a goner, uh, and you even have a pretty good idea of how it's going to happen. I mostly thought that stuff was really great and really hard to watch. Some of the writing, I think, took it a little, just a little bit too far and a little bit too obviously painful and pathosy, especially for the Americans. I, I, I hold the Americans to a very high standard of no TV bullshit. Uh, I say this as someone who loves TV. <laughs> but you know what I mean. Um, I, I know and... what you mean, but I can buy the character saying this stuff, you know? Um, I don't know that the character knows that she's on a TV show, and then she can leave a lot of this to subtext. Um, and so when she says, you know, her lines about um, that's what evil people tell themselves to do evil things, I believe the character saying that, and I feel also feel like nothing more something more subtle isn't necessarily gonna get through to elizabeth elizabeth um or like stick with her you know like i feel like this is one because we've seen philip and or elizabeth and or other people um working with them murder people a lot this year yeah very a lot of murder a lot of very gruesome year um but i feel like this one is gonna stick with her in a way that those others haven't and it's going to and i and so i guess because of that, like, I didn't feel like it was the show talking. I felt like it was the character talking. I like that the hive mind is strong enough that you knew exactly what line I was thinking of. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I uh, like that line. I thought it worked. There you go. I, I didn't hate it. I didn't roll my eyes. I don't think I've ever rolled. I haven't rolled my eyes since, like, early season one of the Americans at the Americans. Mm -hmm. uh, but I definitely didn't think it just it was just a little steezy too much. And I'm just very picky with with the Americans. Uh, other than that, I I, I thought it was a, a really strong episode. Obviously, Lois Smith was amazing. Uh, in a, in a you know very it's a very obviously sort of attention grabby guest spot, but it still worked. I love seeing Oleg and Stan kind of being pals, <laughs> kind of. Um, especially since I have absolutely no feeling that that anything that that they're, that they're doing is actually going to work mm -hmm. in any kind of substantive way. Uh, I'm also not totally convinced that Oleg isn't just playing him. Uh, because they want to just nab that lady. Uh, I haven't totally ruled that out. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I, I enjoyed that. It was really important to have something even a little bit light to go with the rest of it. Uh, I don't know. What did you, what, what did you think about all that stuff? Um, I really liked what we got with Elizabeth and Betty and I could have, you know, I liked what we get with the defector, but, um, the stuff with Stan um, and Oleg, I could have taken or leave 
left, I guess, taking her left. So I didn't, I uh, didn't really need that part. And that's not going to be the part of the show that I remember. I mean, I'm, again, I'm very invested in like Martha. So at the scene we get at the beginning of the episode with Martha, I'm very interested in that. And I mean, it seems like that can't last very long. We get uh, Gabriel popping back up again. And that's, that's continues to be into the progression of that over the season continues to be very interesting. Um, but that, that last scene was a killer. I will say that. Oh yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, so I guess the, the Stan and Oleg corner of the show, um, was the most forgettable for me right now. Fair enough. I I will say on the subject of poor Martha, those scenes were, were really, really effective as well. Mm -hmm. Uh, just, just her sort of her quiet desperation, I guess you could call it quiet, but not really that quiet. Um, uh, still super effective and, I still continue to find it so totally uh, smart that they're giving us a several-week reprieve from Shall I Bang the 15-Year-Old. Oh, yes. Very glad. I mean, I'm sure it'll come back before the end of the season, but... Oh, very, very... I assume it, it'll happen this week. But uh, it's been a good a good break from how to not bang a 15-Year-Old. Um, let's let's move on to our last show of the week, and that's... Speaking of banging, right? The, the Good Wife, Undisclosed Recipients, um, Alicia... <sighs> Never email stuff ever. How did yeah. like how did these lawyers not understand that you like any email you send you can never delete it off the you can never delete anything off the internet ever. Didn't we go didn't we go through this with the NSA already? Come on. Learn? Yeah. Anyway, did you uh, or, wait? Or, did you freeze frame to to read the screen those emails between her and Will? No. Oh yeah. It involves, there involves licking, there are thighs, there's a belt of tongues. Uh, yeah. What? Yeah. That's, that just sounds gross. It's like the lost <laughs> George R.R. Martin book. There's some, there's some, back, she like, uh, one of the book, one of the emails she calls, uh, Castro, uh, like a bunch of mean things. Um, and then there's some sexting as it were, but you know, in the email form, uh, between her and Will. Um, Yeah. And if then, I were them, I would have tried to get really sly and sneak some actual, like, triple X level stuff in there just to see if they could get it past the censors. Well, and I just don't. The other thing I'll say about the emails is I do not believe her emailing that to Elfman. Fair enough. Like, like it was just a one night stand, a great one, but a one night. <laughs> like, no, no, that's yeah. no. Be like, I don't feel like that's something you do. That's like a phone call. That is not something over email. Uh, no, I mean, admittedly, I don't have a lot of experience um, having high powered affairs with other people in my law firm mm -hmm. uh, while being obscenely wealthy. Uh, I didn't buy that she can't send her kids through college already. Come on. Um, well, do you know where they're going, though? They're going to very expensive places. Yes. Well, she's made an awful lot of money. Uh, mm, anyway. She, she had to pump a bunch of it back into the firm when she started her new firm, and then to get the bail for Carrie, too. Eh, still not sure I buy it. Okay. Anyway, um, it was a fine episode. It's That's all that Good Wife seems to be lately is fine, which is unfortunate. It had some great moments, as is also par for the course. Marissa Goldbody uh, woman. Oh, sorry, executive assistant. Yes, uh, the fact that Marissa Gold is, is permanently around, apparently now, is fantastic. Um, the the idea of Finn being her number two is immensely appealing, obviously, although probably unwise. Yeah, it's not going to um, happen. You don't think it's going to happen? No. Uh, I, just, I don't really see 
does he just keep working there, but not as our number two? Well, I he's I see him still having his uh, own thing, and um, like because he's renting space from Lockhart. right. I'd forgotten. Yeah, he doesn't I'd actually he work wasn't for them. At the essays office anymore. Yeah. he quit. I forgot. It's very difficult to keep track of these things, and they don't do previously on the Good Wife, which is silly. Um, but uh, yeah, I guess that's probably not going to happen, and it's. Uh, as Libby Hill put it, uh, it would be really great for her to not keep shitting where she eats. Yeah. Um, so definitely for the best. Uh, it was nice to see him actually be annoyed at her for a change for mm. for doing a dumb thing because he seems to be eternally patient with her. Uh, what else do we? I loved Eli in this episode. Um, it was his best episode in a long time. I thought. I feel like he's he's had one note for so long that it's not until you hear that note played really really loud that you notice that it's a good note. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I um, like to get. I like when we get to see him be good at his job. Yes, Basically. and and also like and also to see Alicia just be kind of dumb, like just the the stuff that she does in the early part of the episode is very satisfying, but also kind of dumb. Very like, dumb. Yeah, it's just not. It's even I could have told you that's not how you play the game, and I haven't run that many. Again, not too experienced with high powered political campaigns, but yeah. it just didn't seem like a good way to do it. Um, any other. Uh, any other thoughts about the posturing in the firm or do you think we're going to get more email hacks? You think this was like a teaser for what's going to come at the end of the season? I uh, I don't know. I spotted Lily Rabe in the preview for next week. So Very exciting. that's fun. Always stoked to see her in something that's not American Horror Story. Um, so I don't know. I'm I'm keeping my expectations for The Good Wife very much in check at this point. Fair enough. Well, then what wins your week in uh, genre and drama, Simon? Whew. Um, that's tight. I didn't think anything was quite, uh, quite in tippy-toppy format, uh, but <laughs> I guess I'll give it to, uh, the Americans Prize goes to the Americans, I guess. <laughs> yeah, because it was more a series of standout sequences or scenes. Yeah, and that was a, that was a trend across the whole week, I think. Yeah, um, I, I'm going to give it to Better Call Saul, though, because I, I like that one more than you did. Um, with a very honorable mention to everything with Elizabeth and Betty on on the Americans this week, and and again, Justified and the Good Wife were just so much fun. They really were. But uh, but and fortitude and fortitude definitely. <laughs> again, you don't oh poor Stanley Tucci. Um, but yeah, that wraps up our week in in TV. So if you show notes here, you can find a post for this episode up at soundonsite.org where you can leave us a comment and let us know what you thought of the week's TV. You can email us the televerse at gmail .com. You can like us on Facebook to follow Goings On at Soundonsite TV and start up a conversation there. You can also give us a rating or review in iTunes. We have both an M4A chaptered feed and an MP3 unchaptered feed, and we do very much appreciate um if you would if you're able to go and do that it helps other people find the show um and uh you know you can or share on social media any of that good stuff of course you can also then find us on twitter i am at the television simon you are at sucker hell and what is our question of the week uh i'm wondering if uh listeners have an individual show that is not on a major streaming service that they would really like to be on a major streaming service Hmm. As inspired by, uh, we, we, we recorded a, a Seinfeld thing today, so that's why I was thinking about it. Yeah. Um, that'll be coming next week. I'm going to have to think about that one because a lot of the ones that I immediately go to either just went up in the, this year at some point or, um, ha have been up for a while. So, uh, so I'll just be boring and I'll say Seinfeld more on that next week. All right. But I'm sure that's that's going to happen. 
yeah. soon. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, let us know what you pick. That's an interesting, as I'm sure, I'm sure people will have any number of, uh, of suggestions and I'll be like, oh, of course. But right now that's the only one that's coming to mind. So that's what I'll stick with. Um, now we'll take a break and we'll come back with Tyler Smith from More Than One Lesson and Battleship Retention for our first installment of Reality Check to talk about Survivor Simul. We'll be right back after this. The storm was a Category 5. When it hit, it broke the levee. I was in my house. Me, I have a German Shepherd. His name was Rocky. And uh, I tried to get out the house, and I realized I wasn't going to make it. So I grabbed my axe because as a fireman, you, one thing you learn is when you go in something, you have to be able to get out. By the time I got upstairs, it, the water was rushing in like, oh my God. I look at, at Rocky. You know, I couldn't even see him. It was a muddy water, oh, and he's gone. I can't even oh, find him. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. God. I never lived in New Orleans, and I'm not a fireman. I even never had a German Shepherd. <laughs> I figured I'd make it a little interesting for everybody when they wake up. I emptied all the water out of all the canteens. I plan on weeding out the week right off the bat. I plan on making it as miserable as possible for everybody. Little stuff like taking a sock. Uh, I didn't burn it in the fire. I think if I can control how they feel, I can control how they think. I'm really a multi-millionaire on an oil company in Houston. I'm not here for the money. I'm only here to show people how easy it is to win this game. back with the televerse this is kate kalsik joined as ever by simon howell and this week it's not the dvd shelf it's not make you watch the on as we record we're not quite sure what we're calling this segment yet but it's one that i'm very much looking forward to because we're talking about season 19 of survivor survivor samoa and here to join us is a, a newly minted member of the five timers club uh from battleship retention and more than one lesson mr tyler smith tyler welcome back Thank you. I don't think I realized that I was a five-timer. That's very exciting. It is very exciting. Not only are you in the five-timers club, but I feel like after Fishing with John, basically whatever you wanted to talk about, we were going to okay because we love that show so much. All right. Uh, yeah, that was during my hiatus period when I was planting trees, and I, I that's the one that I'm most upset that I missed out on. When you were what? It, it's a long story. He went to plant trees for a summer. It was a whole thing. But anyways, mm. um, so so when we were talking um, a while back in Chicago, you mentioned, hey, what about, have you 
done it watching Survivor. Hadn't watched any Survivor. What did you think about, you know, watching season 19? And we'll talk about it. Um, what made you want to talk about this, this season? Uh, because this is the season that made me watch every season afterwards. Um, my, uh, <clears throat> I apologize to your listeners. I'm a bit under the weather. Uh, my wife was a viewer of Survivor. And what would often happen is on a Wednesday or Thursday night, whenever it was on, she would watch it and then I would be working. And uh, we lived in a one-bedroom apartment. And so I would be working in the same space that she was watching the show. And so... Uh, for the last, you know, for the for seasons, you know, 18, 17, 16, going back probably to like 12 or 13, um, I would hear certain things and occasionally I would just sort of tune in and watch the last episode or two or something like that. Uh, but I had no, I wasn't really committed. I didn't care. Uh, I didn't have any particular dog in any fight. Uh, but this was the only one where from the first episode... And then probably the first or second episode, I would hear what was going on, and it was enough to entice me from my computer over to the couch. And after probably episode two, I was hooked for the rest of the season, and then I was hooked for the rest of the series. Yeah, I had never seen any Survivor. I mean, I'm sure I had seen some of the first season. One of my uh, best friends in high school really got into the Survivor from season one. Um, and so I, I was familiar with it, but I had, you know, that first season, but uh, I hadn't really watched any until I watched this season. And of course, I, as soon as I started watching, I was like, oh, this is the season with Russell, because I had heard of him. And I knew what he looked like. So when, yeah. you know, in that first episode, I was like, oh, okay. But I was not prepared. For the yeah, experience, no yeah, of watching this season premiere, um, because it is amazing, and I'm not a big. I don't know if this is gonna make me watch the the series. Uh, I, I'm not sure, but uh, I'm not a big Survivor fan. I'm not a big watching people be terrible to each other kind of fan. You could not have possibly written that premiere, that se- season premiere, because. Yeah. You, we, we wouldn't believe it. We would not believe the cackling, maniacal, demonic sort of, especially with the night vision, that really helps, glee yeah. of Russell as he's pouring out the canteens <laughs> and burning their socks and just talking about with all this really specific and, to my knowledge at least, absolutely correct uh approach on how he's going to break down and basically these are like mind control techniques that he's using yeah, with glee on seemingly very nice, normal people. You couldn't write that in a fiction piece and have me believe it. And yet yeah. here it is on my TV. And, and I think there's a lot of really fascinating stuff throughout the entire season that I'm sure we'll dive in with. But holy crap, how, how excited must the casting people have been when they met this guy? Oh, and then the fact that the fi- that season 20 is Survivor Heroes versus Villains, yeah. and Russell comes back the very next season. Before any, and I, as I understand it, before anybody who was on Heroes and, and Villains had a chance to actually watch this season. That's cor- that's correct. Yes. So he could do the whole same old thing again, and they didn't know his tricks. Yep. Except this time, the people that he's playing with have played before, and they know what to do as well. Whereas this season. Uh, on his, based on his own admission that it's you know it was a bunch of amateurs who just did not know what they were in the same way that you said like you were not prepared to see what he was going to do and they certainly were not prepared for what he was going to do it's rare for an, for a player to 
uh, play as aggressively as that. Uh, and people just let him get away with it. Now, of course, um, given the way the season ended, it's arguable whether people got let him get away with it or not. But f- the very fact that he got to the end is pretty amazing. Simon, had you seen any Survivor before this? Not to my knowledge, uh, not to my recollection. Um, the whole thing with Russell to me that is incredible is, I mean, there's a few things. Um this is you're at the point this is season 19 you're you're well into the point in in the life cycle of a reality series where uh where there are people who have maybe not grown up with the show but like have have uh have watched enough seasons of the show that they think that they have um the show's formula down to uh, a series of equations a series of mental equations basically not that everyone is going to do that but occasionally you're going to get someone like that so Russell is that He's also a classic white-collar villain in the sense that he seemingly doesn't care about the money or proclaims that he doesn't care about the money. He says he made $1.7 million the previous year. Um, he is there just to play. He, he, is, he is interested in, in the, the playground aspect. And he also seems to have this level of contempt for humans that is just, in, that is just remarkable to me. Uh, you know, he he claims uh, near the end of the of, of the season that he's actually a, a a very straightforward, genuine guy in in his daily life. It's possible that that's true, um, but he seems to treat Survivor like it's the purge and everything goes, and then maybe the rest of the time he can be okay. I kind of I have a really hard time buying that, and it scares me that he has a family, <laughs> to be honest. But um, yeah, I, I just I, I find it fascinating the gap between him and everyone else. Like the vast majority of the people who are there seem to have applied, thinking, "Hey, this might be a good time. Probably won't get in, uh, but whatever." And then when they get in, they think, "Hey, it'll be a good story." A couple of them are a little more serious, maybe, but for the most part, they seem to be just uh, mostly there out of curiosity and maybe the hope that they'll win money. He's there, uh, seemingly as 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 part of some uh, bizarre, cruel wish fulfillment. You know, you you brought up The Purge, and I will bring up a different movie. Uh, Russell Hance, for a number of reasons, reminds me of Daniel Plainview um, from <laughs> There Will Be Blood, because uh, I like I, I follow Russell on Twitter and stuff, and and it sounds like in some ways there's a lot a lot of things that I wouldn't enjoy about him, but he does seem to be a very loving father who's very proud of his children and that sort of thing. He seems to have a great deal of pride in the concept of family and. Uh, pretty uh, honestly, pretty san- uh, standard uh, Southern stuff. Um, and uh, but at the same time, there is this feeling there. There's such a wonderful scene in There Will Be Blood where Daniel Plainview is just talking about how he just he does he has a competition in him. He wants no one else to succeed. Like he just doesn't seem to have any patience for people. And and while I'm not sure if I'd say uh, Russell is a, a straight up misanthrope, uh, I think he. He does, uh, once again, by by his own admission, like he was born to play Survivor. Like he just the like the way he observes human behavior and is usually pretty accurate about it. Um, and so it's one could make the argument like, oh, so the guy who has total contempt for humanity is the guy who does so well. Uh, it's like that's a rather cynical uh, conclusion to come to, but uh, it uh, has proven. Uh, pretty true when it comes to survivor in general if you look at at some of the winners or at least people that have done very well 
I have to ask, is the level of misogyny throughout this entire season, and not just from Russell, but from most of the cast, uh, Mm. all the males, really, all the guys, and uh, some of the women, too, is that common, or is uh, is this an uncommon thing? What's interesting is that it seems to certain seasons, yes, where one person will affect another. Um, Like, for example, the season that we're in right now, there's one guy who's just a real piece of trash. And I don't like saying that because, I, you know, in in everyday life, maybe he's a perfectly nice person. People are different when they play Survivor. But he's very much a uh, sort of a Jersey Shore type. And just the way that he talks about women, it's like, oh, my gosh, this guy is – a real piece of work and I can't wait for him to get voted out. Um, and so, uh, and it does, it does spread sometimes. Uh, but then other times, not at all. Uh, it's, it's very odd the way that has worked out. It was just infuriating for me to watch the, the, the final vote when Natalie is sitting there talking about how she noticed that the aggressive women got people that women that were considered at all, you know, like they could actually be competitors were the first ones to get voted out. So she made sure that she was as meek and helpless and useless as possible because that was the only way she could succeed in this. And Which is a legitimate strategy, by the way. Which is a legitimate strategy. But it is, it was just really upsetting to me because that was true throughout. Because the number of times that one of the men said some variant of she just needs to shut up, she needs to stop running her mouth and stop talking, something Mm. that they never said about any of the guys, even racist, terrible Ben. Yeah. Well, and I'll say this. uh, That is something that is said about guys in in other seasons. Uh, Alpha males very seldom make it to the end. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, usually anybody who has a certain level of confidence, and of course, Russell has a lot of confidence, but it's a very specific kind. Um. Like any, I guess he has a lot of bravado as well. But anytime there's just a guy who just shows up and is just loud, he just assumes that everybody is on board with him uh, and that they'd be stupid not to be. Uh, there's no manip- like he's not manipulating people. He just assumes that they're on board with him, and that those guys tend not to last very long either. So basically, anybody, whether it be you know some mouthy broad. I'm trying to get in the spirit of Survivor, um, you know, or or some some alpha male type. Uh, they tend not to last long. This season, however, you didn't find a lot in the way of uh, alpha males. Well, and there were also was it just this this thread that I was seeing throughout the season of, oh, we can't let the women get together because the women will just destroy us. <laughs> and that is a historical trend. There is a, there is a, a, a trend of, uh, for lack of a better term, girl power that shows up on Survivor where women get together and just take out all the men. It's not at all, it's not an unusual thing. So I think that is people, that's guys who are aware of Survivor. Interesting. Okay, Simon, any thoughts? Uh, I mean, you're not wrong that there, I mean, there are several ugly strains of things going on. Although, frankly, I mean... Ben is awful, and it's great when I mean the, the everything involving his elimination is is incredible, uh, and J- Jason's takedown of him, and the fact that he just straight up says this is not worth a million dollars, get rid of this motherfucker, uh, is, that whole thing was fantastic. Um, but is it weird that nothing bothers me more? Nothing gets my goat more than uh then then contestants i mean this is really goes for anything but for some reason it's especially galling to me on this show uh 
characters who are who are certain that God cares what happens to them on Survivor. Uh, <laughs> that happens a lot. Uh, which it, it to to the season's credit, it really doesn't happen until near the end. But that completely torpedoed any interest I had potentially in in Natalie. Uh, is it Natalie doing that? Yes, it is. Yeah, um, it's Natalie, Natalie and Brett, the two of them. A little them. Brett, yeah. Yeah, that. Oh, that soiled Brett too. Although he was doing it a little bit less assertively. Um, but yeah, that like I. It's not about the. It's it's not about the fact that they're religious. Obviously, it's about the 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 sheer. And I get that being on an island for at that point something like thirty five days doing that thing will give you will give you like spiritual tunnel vision or whatever. But. Yeah, the fact that she's doing this like prayer circle thing, and then like within twelve hours she's back scheming with Russell to do the thing that she that you know co- counter to the thing that she was praying for with other people, uh, that was very intolerable to me. Yeah, and there are some seasons where there's a lot more of that. Uh, and what I what I will say is that um, as a Christian, I regularly hear that complaint like well god doesn't even care and then oddly enough in a later season lisa welchel from the facts of life uh was on survivor and she did pretty well and uh towards the and she's a a a christian and so she so spiritual spirituality came into her not necessarily into her gameplay but just into the way that she talked and uh, at the end of uh, the season i think jeff probes asked like well what do you think about the integration integration of faith into um into survivor and she said she said well i do think that god cares about who wins but i think he also cares about who loses i i think he cares about everybody in the game and where they end up not necessarily as far as it's important who gets the money it's how is everybody doing at the end what have they how have they represented themselves how have they represented you know in in many ways the group that they are representing and there is a lot of there are a lot of archetypes and so people tend to be stand-ins for entire groups and so she actually said a very a thing that i agree with completely which is yes god probably does not care specifically about who wins but that's not the same thing as not caring about the outcome and there are plenty of survivors in the past who have uh, who have prayed just for general strength, not necessarily even to win, but and then there are some who have prayed that they can win, but win with integrity, and then do their best to do that. Incidentally, they tend not to win. <laughs> but, and, uh, and there are some people who pray for certain people to get eliminated, <laughs> right? Which is you know, and and th- and even then, like I, at this point, I've I've watched enough to try not to be like overly judgmental of really anything that a person does. Uh, like you could pray for somebody to be eliminated because that person is toxic to your tribe. If anybody were to pray for Ben to be eliminated, would, would any of us have a problem with it? Nope. Uh, of course not. So, uh, yeah, it's a weird thing. Um, and, and a lot of your, not even issues, but a lot of, of your questions and thoughts you're having. It's so interesting that I, as a, as a fan of survivor, I can point to and say like almost at, by, by season 19, like almost everything that is a concern for the players has happened before. The one thing that is different is everything that Russell does. Not everything, right. pardon me. The idea of controlling people's emotions and then control thus controlling their thoughts, it's been done before, but not quite as effectively as he has done it. Well, and the notion that nobody ever thought to, you know, 
you're stuck on a beach. If once you have the food, once you have the fire, you've got a lot of time to yourself. Why don't you spend it looking for the idol yeah. that you know is hidden there? That is astonishing to me that it took 19 seasons for that to happen. Yeah. And now everybody does it. Well, of course. Yeah. And I, I assume they're better at hiding them now because some of those were not very clever, to be honest. Yeah. The the producers uh, for the next couple of seasons they said the the what they called it was the Russell factor. So that we got to get better about hiding it because yeah. you never know if someone's just going to be like, I'm going to keep looking. And I know that like, it's going to have to be something that looks a little bit out of the ordinary. Well, it has to be somewhere that we, they can give a clue to it. Mm-hmm. So, so it has to be like he was some saying, kind of was saying exactly. It has to be in some way distinct. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, there, there are some elements in, in the season that, it, that are really like that, where it's just very interesting. And I was, at least it seems that uh, his second attempt at uh, chaos, uh, letting the chickens out, didn't actually work because, you know, yeah. chickens are stupid. Um, I was glad about that. Uh, the other thing I have to throw out here, because um, I want to make sure we talk about a couple more of these characters, uh, as opposed to in their real life, they're people. On this show, everybody becomes it's, a character. It's perfectly fine to refer to them as characters. Most yeah. people do. Yeah. Normally, chickens have their wings clipped so they can't fly. So when people are giving Shambo crap about not knowing that the chicken would be able to fly that high, yeah. like uh, that's because anybody who's ever been around chickens at a farm knows that they can't. I was getting so annoyed. Well, my guess is that by then uh, people were looking for any excuse to be upset with Shambo. Yeah. Do you guys thoughts on her? Uh, I, I, I mean, again, characters, editing, etc. usual disclaimers, but... My feelings about her, and this is probably by design of the show, shifted in the sense that for a while I thought they were unfairly piling on. But on the other hand, the way she developed these like pr- seemingly like primal levels of hatred for certain people based on seemingly arbitrary factors or tiny little tiffs became extremely grating to me. Uh, t- t- and definitely the, f- the fever pitch thing was when she had a, her dream about Dave getting kicked off, not the least of which because Dave was one of the most likable people in the entire season. Yeah. Well, and I think that just comes down to, she seemed, you know, her, the character that the editors created for her, uh, she seems very um, loyal and very focused on, like, like she, she seems very steadfast with some of these things. So, like, first of all, I don't know how you get a tribe of people together and you find out one of them is an ex-Marine and you don't, you know, listen to them about how you set up your camp and stuff. But uh, anyways, there's that. So, so she immediately felt uh, disconnected from the tribe. It seems like like she I kept waiting for her to try to like just ask the producers if she could switch to the other tribe. Yeah. Because um, they she would have gotten along so much better with those personalities. Um, and I think the age thing is probably some of it as well. She doesn't look 45 uh when you're just like looking at everybody you know she's got a very young face mm-hmm. but thinking about her being surrounded by a bunch of 20 year olds doing yoga on the beach who are all, like all in college and you know trying to be they're in law school or they're you know they're a farmer rep or something and here's a 45 year old ex-marine the personalities were not going to mesh that well to begin with and then when you add in you know this yeah, all of this harsh weather and really, you know, all the the trauma that they're experiencing. Um, I'm not surprised it takes just one little thing to set her off against Dave because they've just killed her pets and she's having a really yeah. shitty day. And he comes over and is being a dick about it. Um, understandably, I think. 
But I'm not surprised that then she got focused in because at that point she had lost all nuance, like it, because well, of her and, experience. And I think one one thing that's fascinating about this season is you come to realize like certain aspects of group dynamics. Like how is it that so there's the Foa Foa tribe and Galu, all right. And when they finally merge, Foa Foa has four people to Galu's eight, and the Foa Foa people wind up being in the final five, and Galoo is picked off one person at a time. Uh, and so you wonder, like, how is that even possible? Well, one of them is that Shambo uh, jumps ship as soon, as soon as she can. So uh, so then it's like, okay, well, now it's five to seven. Still, numbers-wise, you're, you're still fine. But, um, but I think it's like, how did Galoo fall apart? And I think it's because Russell, the other Russell left. He was medically evacuated. And that's the thing. He was the leader of that tribe. He's also in the, in the show, he's something of a tool, but he does have certain leadership qualities. And I don't think anybody would ever like, I don't think anybody on that tribe would have said, Oh, he's such a great leader or anything like that. But there is something about him that seems to help everybody focus their thoughts a little bit more. And I think because he's a little bit older, I think he, if he was still around during the merge, I think he probably could have gotten Shambo back on board because he was more her age. And I think he, I think he made it very clear. Like I need to keep this woman happy. Uh, Cause I think he recognized that, okay, she's a, she's something of a wild card. And so him leaving, I think was the beginning of the downfall for Galoo. It didn't matter how many people they had because it was such a disparate group of people who did not have uh, a leader. And many, many alliances need one or two people that are sort of making the calls and making things happen. And for him to, and again, I didn't think he was that great of a player. I found him to be kind of an annoying person. Uh, he came back a few, a couple of seasons later and I found him way more annoying <laughs> but but there is the in that group of people he was desperately needed and when he was medically evacuated like that was the end and so like if you want to if you want to look at like what shambo brought to the proceedings um of the whole game i feel like he's somebody who could have prevented her jumping ship and i think it's entirely possible that galoo could have taken out foa foa uh and you would have had a completely different final three well and also he seemed, you know, he engaged with her pretty quickly just in the first couple episodes, but she seems like she's got, you know, in some ways she's very pleasant and likable, but in other ways she's socially awkward. Yeah. And nobody on her team spent any effort trying to reach out to her and get to know her. Russell, first thing he does is like pull her over and they go fishing together and yeah. like he immediately sees the value in every person as as a potential ally. Nobody spent any time trying to get to know her because if yeah. they had she would have been rock solid for them she would have been with them all the way to the end yeah it's uh it is a thing that uh, the outcasts often do pretty well because they're on the outskirts and it and all somebody has to realize is like hey we've got another vote over there let's let's grab that person and then that person makes it pr uh, much further than the more aggressive and more savvy players of the game because they're not so savvy. They get they get very uh, comfortable, if not straight up cocky, about how they're doing, and they think like, "Oh, we don't need this person. They bother me. They annoy me." And before you know it, oh shoot, uh, this person is instrumental in changing the game, as Shambo was. 
But you said the word comfortable, so we have to jump to the most infu- one of the most infuriating moments watching this uh, for me, which was Russell choosing goddamn blankets over a tarp yeah. and a lantern. And I was like, are you, are you, are you fucking kidding me here? Yeah. <laughs> How you know could what? you ever do that? And the crazy thing is, like, he said it for reasons that are, that are also a little bit sexist, but like. More than I, a little bit, but I yeah. think we're genuine. I think he meant well. But... Yeah. And what's interesting is, like, admittedly, a lot of the women on his tribe are like, oh boy. So, like, I guess. Yeah, he read he... his tribe well. Yeah. And with no hesitation, not a moment's hesitation. Um, the thing, uh, the thing about the, like the, the the onslaught of rain that basically immediately follows that decision, which in retrospect hilarious. Um, yeah, they totally. Get, like, I was laughing the whole like they're all suffering, and I'm just sitting there. I feel bad for Foa Foa for when they, as soon as they get to Galu and any of those little tiny slips of girls like shivering, you know, because you know, like huddling under their soaking blanket. Yeah, I just so much Schadenfreude, all of the Schadenfreude. I, uh, Kate and I had a little bit of discussion about this, but like. The most I the most time I've ever spent in the rain was maybe like I did some some outdoors work and uh I I was out in the rain for maybe ten and a half hours at a time max and like I've got a it's not fun uh and you can get sick pretty easy but I wonder if like for instance Russell seems bizarrely impervious to the rain uh, another thing that's freakish about Russell. Yeah, hunger, hunger doesn't seem to affect him. The rain doesn't seem to affect him. Yeah, and and I and we don't and I don't know if uh, I wonder if his exposure therapy approach to the rain was uh, a healthier choice, maybe than uh, than the constant like drying, getting wet, drying, getting wet, getting cold, getting getting hot, getting cold cycle, or if it was just a matter of he had some extra body fat still at that point. And I think that is actually a significant thing because you can, I mean, you can see on his on his shoulders and his arms, he's he's ripped, he's really strong, but he also has extra extra fat on him. Yeah. And everybody else there was ripped, but tiny percent body fat. And so as soon as they start to get getting really hungry, their body is eating up the muscle, not fat. And I think that's also you know, Shampoo had a little bit extra weight too. And so she and she seemed like she was doing better than than some of the especially just like the the totally ripped guys seemed like they were really suffering in the rain. And then, of course, the tiny girls, too. Yeah. Um, I really think that that is a significant was ended up being a significant advantage for for Russell. I'm actually surprised that more people don't seem to uh, pack some fat for Survivor. Yeah, the people that know. Uh, often do. There's a guy named uh, Rob Sestronino who uh, was on an early season and I think he wound up gaining 30 pounds before he went on because he knew, like, I'm going to need this. <laughs> and he went, and he did pretty well. Well, when you look at the, the like, over the course of the season, you're seeing them. They, they all start out looking, a lot of them at least, started out looking like TV hot, you know, like yeah. they they look really great. They're in wonderful, amazing shape. It's part of why they got cast, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then and then as the season goes on, they look more and more gaunt, and, and it just looks terrible. And it, I can't imagine. And that's with you know the old adage: the camera adds ten pounds. So I can't imagine what they must have been feeling like, and even just looking like by the end of that. Well, and then of course when the reunion show comes in. And they're and it's and they've been in regular life. Even the people that go back to just looking regularly good, you're just like, oh, who are these fat people? Like they, just, <laughs> they look like they're like they weigh 300 pounds, even though they're a solid 160 or something like that. Um, it's very strange. And yeah, actually, um, 
my wife and I have a friend who is on this last season of Survivor. Um, and he's a dancer on Broadway. So, you know, of course, not an ounce of fat on him. And he's very muscular. He's one of the people that played Spider-Man on mm. Broadway. And, uh, oh, the poor soul. Yeah, I know. And so, um, and he said, and he was there for a while. And he said, like, I mean, it, it really did a number on his body because like muscle is not an easy thing to build back up, uh, especially when your body's been basically eating your muscle. And so, um, and I've heard that before that like, if you don't have any, if you don't have any fat coming into this thing, like you could be not in trouble, not merely for the game, but for several months, if not like a year afterwards. Yeah. Do we have any other, uh, do we want to talk about any of the challenges, any like other standout moments or particularly satisfying eliminations? Uh, well, I do like when, when everybody assumes uh, the, the tribes have merged and nobody thinks that Russell has the idol. In fact, they're betting that he doesn't. Uh, and, <laughs> that was and Dave, Dave though that was I enjoy awesome. Dave, he makes a lot of bad moves. And, uh, and then when Russell stands up and Russell does have that, that Cheshire cat grin, just that big smile on his face. Anytime he does something, he doesn't have the best poker face in the world. Um, and so he smiles and he just says like, he says, I'm not done playing just yet. And then as he sits back down, he says, keep hope alive. And sure enough, and like moments like that, just you only need, need a couple to turn the tide. And that was one of them. And just the surprise on people's face when they saw that. Um, and it was just moments like that are exciting. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I think more more just the fact that it, there was an eight to four advantage and the four won. Um, and what I'll say is the first time I watched it, I felt very angry that Russell did not win the whole season. Now I still think he deserved to, but in watching it a second time, you realize, oh, Natalie is doing stuff. Like she's, she's not being as aggressive and she's probably not making as many moves and she's not thinking as, of as many moves, but she does play her role certainly during the merge. Um, and so while I don't think she deserved to win, uh, I don't think that she was quite the uh, – the term is goat. I don't think she was quite the goat that people thought she was. Uh, I still think Russell deserved to win. I don't know of anybody who worked as hard to win as he did, and maybe that's the issue. But, um, but yeah, uh, that is considered one of the great injustices of, of Survivor is that he didn't win. Even Jeff Probst said that he got kind of robbed. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I – I love the season because there's just so many, there are a number of interesting characters, but one really comes forward and he is like survivor incarnate. Um, if survivor could be a single person, it would be him. Um, and clearly because he won like the fan, uh, vote, uh, clearly people enjoyed watching him. I enjoyed watching him and I know a lot of people find him odious, but to me, it's just like, he knows how to strategize he knows how the game works, but he also knows how to be good for the camera. And I just, I enjoyed, and don't get me wrong, I don't mean to say that he's the only person on uh, on that season. There are a number of people that are watchable, uh, either for good or ill. Like Ben is one of those guys that like you love to hate, and I don't want to spend too much time with him, but I also enjoyed Dave. I like John. Um, I like Natalie and uh, Jason. I like Sharon. Liz. I like Liz, yeah. Liz got robbed as far as I was concerned. And, you know, one of the things I will say this, that as 
though though Russell does you know say he's got his dumbass girl alliance and stuff like that, he also is able to respect like he can see when like somebody is smart, smarter than like smart enough to get on to him. And so like and Liz did and I'm trying to look at some of these other Betsy, Betsy did immediately. Did. And so yeah. and and I mean, he's quick to say it's like, oh, these women are very smart and uh, I got to get rid of them. And John, I think he recognized John is also a smart guy. Yeah, so I got to get rid of him. The con man has to get rid of the cop immediately. Oh, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and because their their trouble was they, they saw were able to see through him. They're canny judges the character um, and Marissa almost immediately, too. Yeah. But they're terrible actors. Um, and so that's their trap, their problem. That was their downfall. Yeah. Like if you got to connect the dots, if you see him talking to everyone on the tribe and you want to conf- and you confront him about that, it's like, well, he has been talking to everybody on the tribe, which means he certainly seems to have the numbers. So maybe this isn't the best way to go about trying to get him out or trying to to call him out. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, – so let me – okay. So, Kate, you said that you weren't sure if this, is, this, if this was enough to get you to watch f- future seasons. Uh, Simon, what about you? Uh I mean, I, I the one thing I, I sort of wanted to say about the the show in general, based on watching this season, uh, that makes me wonder if I'll watch more of it is, I wasn't expecting it to be quite so anarchic, in the sense of like, you were talking about Russell being robbed, and that's an interesting idea because um, there's no criteria for voting, you vote for whoever you want. It's not you don't vote based on one thing or another. You vote based on you, you know, do you want to vote for the best player? Do you want to vote for who deserves the money or who needs the money most? Do you want to vote for the best human being? Uh, and what what I find fascinating is that, from what I can tell, um, the 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 outcome was determined by Eric because he defines the narrative for them helpfully uh, right before the vote. So he's weirdly the kingmaker, uh, and he's sort of an interesting character because he struck me as kind of unstable. Uh, <laughs> For, for parts of that. And maybe, again, it's maybe it's just the way he speaks and the way the way he was edited, but I never quite knew what to expect from him. Well, uh, he the thing that gets me is that he seemed like, yeah, his speech always angered me because just like, Eric, if you hadn't been voted out, you would have been doing exactly the same thing that Russell was doing. Like, he was the type that was scheming. And on his tribe, he would have been probably the first to go after people. And I think that's why people recognize that. I think people recognize that, and that's why they voted. He was the first person voted out in the merge, uh, by his, largely by his own tribe. And so it's just it, what fascinates me about the final tribal with the jury and stuff like that is that there's often a great deal of hypocrisy. There's there's people saying like, "What?" It's like, "I can't believe you did that." Well, it's exactly what that person was doing. They simply got caught, and so that's you know. Everybody has different theories about what the jury should look for. Um, I personally think that it should that it should have to do with like who who played the like who played the best game, who made the the most moves, and I feel like this this season obviously it's it's maybe not obviously I think it's Russell, but at the same time there is an, an emotional component that he seemed not to take into account because I think he was thinking like, well, look at all the stuff I did. They're going to respect that. And they didn't because they were personally – they felt personally hurt. And so that is another aspect of the game that you need to take into account. Well, and he just – 
Yeah, he, that was his significant major flaw. That the, his downfall was he did, it just ties back to his strength throughout throughout the season. He did not respect people. Yeah, and so he he gets to the end and he he doesn't say he doesn't lay out a case for himself of why he should win. He says, "This is what I did. You can't not vote for me." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And after after thirty nine days of hell. And after this guy's being an asshole to you, I mean, I'm not surprised Mick got no votes because he had no reason for anybody to vote for him. Right. Um, but Natalie, if you noticed, her argument wasn't, I played an awesome game. Her argument was, I could really use this money and I'm nice. Yeah. Because, and so then Russell doesn't, he does, he doesn't have any respect for the other. For the for the people who he has defeated, in the same way that when Yaz comes over to their to their camp and is just being a pain in the ass yeah. and not respecting them, he did the exact same thing in that last thing. He didn't say you guys played a, g- a good game, you kept knocking us back in the challenges, but here's what I did and here's why I should win. He couldn't adopt any other person's point of view and see how they would view him. Yeah, he's not he's not great at final tribal. Like he just because. To him, it's like there were eight of you and you're all there because I put you there. like to him and frankly to me it's like, why does this not make sense to you? Yeah, everything was against me. And here I am. And not because somebody dragged me along, but because I chose to be here through sheer force of will. Here I am. And you're not. Can't you respect that? You also have to keep in mind if you're Russell that they haven't seen everything that you've been doing. Right. They haven't seen the footage the audience has seen. And when you have blindside after blindside, you know, he didn't like lay a case. We blindsided you. I made that happen. We blindsided you. I made that happen. Like he didn't give an argument for himself. He just pointed to like the three, three or four things that he did that they knew about, like the idols and stuff. But he didn't, you know, he didn't actually take any effort to let them know why, how he outwitted them and how he outplayed them. Can I, the last, the very last thing I'll say uh, that's sort of relevant to this is the other reason I finally got annoyed with Shambo in the end was when she started talking about um, uh, when she's giving her argument as to who should win and who shouldn't. When she's talking about like what America wants, <laughs> and <laughs> I, I just want to be like, oh Shambo, America just wants to watch you suffer. Yeah, <laughs> that's all America cares about. Yeah. Now, do we have any – so that's your final thought. Tyler, do you have any final thoughts on Survivor, Survivor Samoa specifically? Um, I will say that, you know, uh, in the communities that I run in, which is to say uh, film lovers, um, there is there's a low-level disdain for TV that has been going away over the last 10 years. However, the disdain for reality TV has remained, and for the, I'd say for the most part uh, justifiably so. But there is a difference between reality TV and uh, competitive reality TV. Uh, with competitive, you get stuff like The Amazing Race um, and Survivor. And people look at Survivor and they just say, like, oh, it's just all these trashy people. It's like, well, some of them are and some of them are not. And what it often winds up being is a very interesting kind of social experiment. Not unlike – I mean it's really not that different than the real world, which people had no problem with uh, – there's just this competitive element that can bring out certain aspects. And there are some there are some seasons when the most likable person who has respect for other people wins and wins pretty handily. And so it's very different season to season. 
And what what's and like this season, for example, um, the conceit is uh, white collar versus blue collar versus no collar. Now, of course, it's a ridiculous idea, but it's this idea of of people in different social strata competing against each other. Now, what's and and that breaks down pretty like almost immediately. But what you have is some people latch on to the way they are designated. And they're like, okay, I'm going to be a representative of this thing. It's like, yeah, but you don't have to be. And the same thing happens, by the way, with heroes versus villains the next season. People say like, oh, I need to be a hero. And so they they let that define them. And in the same way, uh, when uh, when people are on Survivor, they seem to know the role that they're playing uh, in that particular season, like the certain archetype that they're fulfilling. And so they they see they often feel like they need to act accordingly. And so it's it's a very interesting idea because it's not merely watching people interact. It's watching people interact knowing that people are watching. And uh, and often the best players are the ones who are keenly aware that we are watching. Um, and that's and they know how to play to a camera and stuff like that. That's why you get somebody like Russell and even somebody like Shambo, who does seem to uh, it's hard to know if her personality is that heightened in everyday life, it's, it's all, and, and you can't know because once they become a reality uh, star for lack of a better term, then they're kind of always on. And it's a, uh, it's a very, it's, it's a very odd uh, experiment that I think some seasons are better than others. Um, uh, but uh, I don't know. It's, it's a thing that I would recommend. And, uh, and if you guys are ever interested in like, good seasons uh just let me know and i'll send you a list of the seasons that i think are best i i have no patience um for the notion that reality tv can't be can't be just as great as scripted <laughs> because first of all it is scripted and second of all that really diminishes um the achievements of something like this season of survivor the the cat the, the diminishes the casting uh, or the the accomplishment of the casting people of finding this cast and putting them together yeah. and the editors and the people who come up with the challenges and the contestants who are on it the characters who are on it so like this is an excellent season a fascinating season of television as far as i'm concerned yeah. and i think there's so much that you can really explore within it just by like all the societal stuff we were talking about it, jason's takedown of ben is one of my favorite reality moments because how like constantly horrible racist uh people sh are getting cast on these reality shows survivor big brother also you hear about it it seems like every other season you hear about some some horrible thing almost never does anyone stand up to them and here he did and it worked and he made an excellent, articulate case for himself. Because usually you get so worked up, anybody who would would care enough to say something gets so worked up that they can't express themselves well. Yeah. So, like, you don't get a moment like that in, in scripted TV. Or if you do, it doesn't have the same power because you know that somebody wrote it. Um, so... I think that I think that this is a really fascinating and excellent season of TV. I don't Survivor's not necessarily my thing, but um, I, I get frustrated about the notion that oh, it's reality TV, so it must be trash. There's a lot of great reality TV. There's a lot of terrible reality TV. Just like there's a lot, there's great and terrible in pretty much every genre. Exactly. Um, yeah. So so thank you for for getting me to watch some Survivor Samoa. And if anybody anybody is a doubter out there, I seriously recommend just watch the season premiere of this, and you will be hooked. Yeah. 
Yeah, I was. I was hooked on the entire series from then on. I watched this whole thing in two days. It, yeah, you will be you will be hooked. Um, it's it's a fascinating character study, and again, I imagine it just all comes down to casting every season, just like on The Amazing Race, just on any of these other reality competition shows. It comes down to the personalities and the uh, the editing as well, of course. But it, really, it all comes down to casting. Yeah, and even then, there's never a guarantee. Like you can always tell when somebody is cast with the assumption that they're going to make it a while, a while, mm-hmm. and then they get voted out like third. And you can feel like the casting people are like, oh, it's like this person was going to be great, but we never we did not think they were going to do what they were going to do. Um, and uh, and that's that is one of the neat things about reality TV when it's when it's good. As you mentioned, there are moments that if it's in a scripted TV show, it can still be super powerful and it can still mean something. But the fact that somebody wrote it, it's like, all right, this was thought through and several drafts were 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 gone through. Whereas with this, don't get me wrong. I mean, there with, there's still a lot of, uh, there's drafts of editing as well when it comes to reality TV. But that thing that, but like when Jason stood up and and said that thing about Ben, now maybe he'd been thinking about it in his head all day long, but he didn't have anything written down. And that was an organic moment. And it's, it's exciting when you see that and you think, oh, reality can have this. Now, of course, in a very specific set of circumstances, but it's it it sprung from a person's genuine frustration with another person. And it's exciting. It's a very exciting thing when that happens. It really it can really crackle with energy when it's good. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on to talk with us about Survivor Samoa. Uh, where can our listeners find you and your work online? You can find me at battleshippretension.com where I host a podcast with uh, David Bax. We are a solid eight years in now and uh, no sign of slowing down except emotionally. And then uh, you can also find me at morethanonelesson.com, which is a film discussion from a Christian point of view. So our most recent episode will be about the Christian film Do You Believe, Um, which uh, don't, don't get me wrong, we don't talk about Christian film. We do occasionally if it makes a fair amount of money and is kind of sort of in the zeitgeist a little bit. Um, but, uh, you you know, we also recently talked about Foxcatcher and Birdman and that sort of thing. So, uh, but the most recent episode is about Do You Believe, which is a Christian film starring Sean Astin and Mira Sorvino. Uh, you can also follow me on Twitter at More Lessons, also at Tyler Pretension. I have two different Twitter accounts for, uh, for uh, my two different websites. Well, again, thank you so much, Tyler, for coming on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Televerse. 